In life, the most important thing is trust. Without it, everything is a lot harder in a quickly changing and turbulent time. Barclay Pierce Capital is a safe pair of hands, an organisation built on people. They understand you've worked hard to build your nest egg and their asset management business is tailored to suit your needs. Their services help grow your wealth in order to provide long-term safety and security for you and your family. BPC, just a phone call away. Stand by for a start. Locked away. Gates are back and they're racing. At the track with Osher, we aim to take our listeners to the inner sanctum of the industry to not only identify the superstars of our game, but also the unsung heroes and what it is exactly that they look for when trying to identify a Group 1 horse. Today on the show, we have our first ever guest, the multi-talented Robbie Dolan. He's a 26-year-old multiple Group 1 winning jockey from Ireland who is fast becoming one of the most in-demand singers in Australia and soon to be on the international stage. Let's get stuck into it. Robbie, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. As we take a seat at the great, beautiful Brighton Lakes Golf Club. Yeah. Mate, uh, let's talk about Robbie Dolan, the jockey. You have a racing pedigree, as as I understand it. Talk us through that, mate. Yeah, I come from a racing family. Um, My grandfather was a Group 1 winner. Uh, I think he rode a couple back in the 70s, back in Ireland. My dad rode horses for Dharma Weld for years. He was also a jockey. Brother was a jockey as well. Brother's... um, training in now in, in Ocala in Florida so you know it's it's definitely in the blood I suppose let's touch on your grandfather so is it it's it's Peter Matthews right Patter yeah Patter Patter Matthews Pater so Matthews. you talk us through uh, what group one he won over there he won a couple of classics at St. Ledger um, and this was back in you know back in the 70s and back when it was black and white you know yeah <laughs> When everything was black and white, the money started to add colour. But um, Peaky yeah, blinders like. I remember growing up and there's always pictures around the house of horses and, you know, going to the races pretty much every race meeting in the Curra where I, where I grew up and, um, you know, it was just always in my life, I suppose. And your father, he looked after Grace Swallow? That's right. He, um, he used to look after Grace Swallow. Um, he... Looked after many good horses over the years, but Grace Wallow was one who, you know, he went on to win the Irish Derby 2004. Um, brought him, I think he brought him to Canada. He won a couple of big races in Canada and America. And to be honest, he was a really, really good horse. And my dad used to ride him out. He was a bit difficult. I think uh, he was a bit strong and stuff like that. My dad used to ride him out and get on well with him. And he ended up looking after him and brought him all over the place. So, And two sisters? Two sisters, yeah. They're not into racing. Um, it's a it's a tough life, so it's a, <laughs> some of us have to take different options, I reckon. But they're um, you know into the, the sort of child minding and 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 my wider sister sort of does a bit of cleaning and housework and stuff like that. But um, uh, really really good workers as well. So mate, let's start from the start when I I was reading your, your brother taught you to put a head collar on, and you were originally you were thinking about going to America at one stage. Yeah, that's correct. I um. I originally sort of applied for the race academy in Ireland and I was a bit too young by like a few months. So I had to like go back to school for another year and then reapply the year after. So I sort of, I was a little bit more like ready for the, for the course the second year around. So I was sort of maybe a silver lining. And I think I went to America for three months to my brother over to Florida. And um, yeah, pretty much, you know, he just showed me how to, 
put a head collar on, wash a horse and, you know, ride the pony around. And I remember I rode one racehorse as well that just bolted with me and it was <laughs> unbelievable. It was the best day of my life. Yeah. And it was brilliant. And uh, this was all on their farm out in Ocala and uh, it was pretty cool. And I was, I loved America and I was really adamant that I was going to try and go there after race. And I still did really want to go there like until, you know, probably a month before I moved to Australia. Yep. And the race academy in Ireland, so it's, this is like a, it's a renowned apprentice school. So you, you pretty much learn the basics and, and you go to all the way through is what I understand. Some pretty famous people come in there, Shami Heffernan, Daryl Jacob, Padre Baggy, Shane Foley, Johnny Murtagh, uh, Richard Fahey, and obviously the, the champion apprentice who's now the jockey coach, Kathy Grannon. So what, what did you learn out of that school that set you on your path now? Yeah, look, it's something that really, really needs to be implemented into Australia, I think, is a race academy. And obviously it's easier said than done, you know, funding and everything like that and getting licenses to have so many people and so many horses together on, on the property and stuff like that. But um, for me, I went there with sort of ambitions to be a jockey. And not only does it give you a bit of confidence riding horses and stuff like that, like we had to go to school and everything. We we stayed there um, from Monday to Friday, or from Sunday evening to Friday. And then we go home Friday and spend the weekend at home and then go back in on the Sunday evening and, you know, do the same. We'd get up in the mornings, go down, and have breakfast and then we'd go down to the stables and they'd basically they'd have coaches there like retired jockeys and, and, and people who've been in the industry for a long time and they teach you like the basics of just looking after horses and what to look for in a horse and learning characteristics and stuff like that and then they teach you to ride as well and they split us into a couple of different groups and um, you know basically just everything is from scratch doesn't matter if you're the best rider or the worst rider, because believe me, I didn't know anything when I went there. Uh, a couple of things is all I knew. And I was just the very, very basics of, of horses. And, and, um, I, I learned everything there. And basically within like nine months, I went in there with little to no riding experience to ride and work, uh, on the Curra. So they send you out to a, a stable after six months and they drop you there in the morning, collect you there after the track work in the morning and then you go and do your schoolwork after. And um, just vital, you know, experience that it's sort of hard to get nowadays. Like, well, Why do you think, like, in Australia, we haven't really got a course like that? I mean, we've got an apprentice school and so forth, and obviously we'll talk about that a little bit later, you know, with your journey. But why do you think Australia just doesn't have that? Like, I, I went to a college called Marcus Alden College, which basically teaches teaches you all the fundamentals, but not really to be a race jockey, not really to be, you know, just like the basics of every part of the industry. What, why is it that someone like, say, Volandis or, or Racing Victoria, Racing Queens, they haven't really got this program set up? I mean, because at the end of the day, the, the next generation is our future, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, the world is evolving and changing all the time. And I think if something doesn't happen in this situation, um, we could be struggling for staff in, in a couple of years, you know, and probably sooner rather than later. And I think... You know, it's not necessarily hard. It's obviously funding and, and everything like that. Insurance and stuff is very important. Um, and it's just having the right plot of land to do it because you can't just do it somewhere and move it to another place. It's got to be like set in stone. Like race has been there for like 50, probably 100 years. I don't know how long it's been there. A long time. Like my dad went to race back in the day. And um, 
my grandfather was actually a teacher there. He was he was yeah, one right. of the writing instructors when Johnny Murta was there. So yeah, it's, okay. you know, it's all the best writers have been through race. My little cousin who's apprentice now, who just come over to Australia for a bit of experience, he was in race as well. And uh, look, I think, like I said, every, the world is evolving all the time and it's um, it's where I got the bug for horses and it's really important that the young people are introduced into the racing right way. Like if you just send a lot of young people into a stable in the morning and say, oh yeah, go in there and look after that horse. It's not correct. And I'm not saying that's the way it's always done, but it's very important to introduce people into racing the right way. And like well, there was 32 people on our course and you know, not all of us are going to be jockeys. I think there's probably five that are still jockeys from the course, but looking over now, I'd say 95% of the people that went to the course that I was on still work in the racing industry, headman, trainers, farriers, dentists, all in the racing industry. So it's definitely a big, you know, push out for jobs for the racing industry, whether it's jockeys or everything else. Do you find like, I mean, is it, it must be an honor. Like if, you know, when you, when you look at say the race Academy, you look at the website and you look at, uh, you know, who's come through it. And uh, the third last name is, is Robbie Dolan, two-time champion apprentice in Sydney. I mean, you must look at that with a lot of pride. Absolutely. It was, it's like, you know, there was a lot of people to apply for the course as well. You have to go through a trial week down there and there was a real sort of anticipation whether you're going to get in or not get in and you have to go back to school and, you know, what's going to happen. But um, I sort of, I'm very grateful for for race and everything they've done for me and i think um um i would definitely advise a lot of young people to to go there yep do you miss the irish racing scene compared to say what what the australian racing scene is or are you happy here now no i'm very happy here i absolutely love sydney racing um australian racing in general it's just so exciting and it's just so fresh and um obviously you know irish racing is amazing as well but I just, I, I didn't really know a lot when I came over here and I would only had a hundred rides and didn't have a clue what was going on in any of them. So um, I learned everything um, over here and I just love the racing over here. So let's talk about your journey to Australia. John Sadler, he was uh, your first man. It was a bloke in Ireland that uh, recommended you go there. And funny story, John Sadler, my father, uh, when he got married to my mother, was John Sadler was the best man. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. Yeah. He's so funny. He's such a good guy. So, um, Warren O'Connor was, um, a sort of a jockey coach. And, um, in Ireland, he was a group one winner as well. Yep. He won, I think he won the St. James Palace Stakes back in the day, but yep. he was a, my jockey coach in Ireland. I used to get up on the mechanical horse and he'd teach me my style, pulling the stick through all that. And Tom Sadler came over for a bit of, um, experience with Johnny Marta, he's actually writing a bit of work there, I think. And I, sort of after the idea of going to America was out of my mind, I was a little bit down in the dumps and I, you know, I was talking to Warren. I said, I don't really want to go to England. And I know I'm not going to make it in Ireland as an apprentice because I'm not good enough and I'm not ready. And if you're not ready, you're just going to be pushed aside and that's it. So I was just like, I really don't want to go to England. I've seen so many people that go to England and sort of go down the wrong path and stuff like that. So I was like, I know I'll probably be one of them if I do. So then he was like, why don't you go to Australia? To Tom, Tom Sadler and John Sadler. And I was thinking, that could be a good idea. 
and uh, sort of looked into it a bit. I started to watch Australian racing then. Yeah, okay. And I watched all the apprentices and stuff like that. And um, I, I sort of got a bit of a bug for it then. And, and then I was like, I literally, I, I tried to apply for my American visa for ages and it was very hard and it was um, expensive as well. Like, <laughs> couldn't afford it, to be honest. And then... Um, I applied for the Australian visa and I got it within like three days. And I was like, well, that's my mind that's made up for me. So. That's a sign. Perfect. So, Robbie, with, with SADS, um, you were there for a month and you jumped into Sydney. So, Sydney Racing, where did you start there uh, and how did you get the apprenticeship? Yeah, so I was with SADS. I, I came over to, um, to SADS and initially he sort of um, brought me in and put me up in a <clears throat> an apartment um, I actually came out with Ellen Hennessy, who was riding in oh, Sydney yeah, now as yeah, well. Yeah. So both of us took the trek out. She was in the same boat as me. She sort of wanted to go overseas as well, and I asked her, did she want to come over? And then the two of us decided to go to SADS, and I loved riding there. It was great there. They had a great team, um, and um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. He saw, you know, the team there. I was riding out with Chris, actually, Chris Casarda. Yeah, um, yeah, yep. Oh, and Chris, he, yeah. he was... Um, teaching me the times and everything like that. And he was, he was really good down there and um, really good friends with him. But um, eventually we were, you know, trying to go into race in Victoria and get our licenses and stuff like that. And because, you know, they have the academy down there and there's a bit of a waiting list to get in. Um, and it'd be 12 months before we were even considered to be on the list. And I was just eager to go. I really wanted to ride. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. And, and um, Sads was like, just go to Sydney. And he's like, just try and ride freelance and, and see how you go. And, and I'm sure that someone will pick you up. So I was like, all right, no worries. So I just came in and I stayed on a friend's, friend's couch for a few days and then in the city. And then I got the train with my bags to Warwick Farm with my suitcases and my school bag in my back. And I hadn't <laughs> a clue where I was going. And it was a million degrees and I had a jacket on and I, oh, I was sweating and it was uh, an experience. And then I finally went to Warwick Farm and uh, started writing a bit of work for Richie Litt. Yeah, who he, had a big influence on your career later on, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I wrote a bit of work for him and a lot of other trainers as well. I, I started to write freelance. I'd probably write one or two for Richie in the morning, go and write for Matty Smith. Then I'd go write for a couple of small trainers and then eventually, Mark asked me, would I be able to do one in the Mark morning? Newman, yeah. Mark Newman, yep. And uh, one, of, one of my mates introduced me to Mark and said, oh, Mark's, like Mark only had nine or 10 horses I at the time. He was only just started, like, I think he just had his first winner not long before. Mm. And um, I, I, I rode one, one piece of work from then that morning and then he rang me. He's like, oh, would you be able to ride a few more on, on Saturday? And I was like, yeah, grand, no worries. So I rode like five from and then sort of, Eventually, the work I was writing for the people was starting to get like less important, and I was writing a lot more for Mark. And it was like I could sort of see that I was he was the one that I wanted to be yeah, apprenticed to. Yeah, okay. A couple of people asked me would I be interested in being apprenticed for them, and I was sort of, sort of holding off until Mark had asked me because I didn't yeah. really want to ask him. And then eventually he came up to me and he was like, "Hey, somebody told me you want to be apprentice." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, well." You start this afternoon. <laughs> I was good. like, oh, great. So I worked the afternoon shift. <laughs> How good is that? Mate, we'll talk, let's get on to Mark. He was a, he was a great jockey himself. He uh, used to ride a lot for Gay Waterhouse. Obviously started his, um, I suppose, the apprenticeship for a training career under Gay. But then he went out on his own and um, 
is the influence he's had on not just your career but a lot of other apprentices. You know, he's had four in a row champion apprentices. What's the influence for you? And uh, what do you think the secret is to Mark Newman? Mark's just a, a genuine, hard-working guy, and he has been his whole life, I think. Um, you know, he sort of brought me in and, and taught me the ropes, taught me what not to do and what to do in Sydney racing and stuff like that. And Well, on that, what, what's not to do? What, what's the what not to do part? Because you see a lot of talented kids. Well, you see a lot of talented kids, right? They, you know, they're really good. You go, geez, that guy can sit on a horse. Three years later, you don't see him. What's, what's the part that Mark said, look, don't do this, but do this? Because that's obviously part of the secret. Yeah, don't be lazy. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. He um, drilled it into all of us, you know, me, Tom and Tyler, you know, you got to show up for work all the time. Don't miss work. Um, the whole time I worked for Mark, I probably missed a few days and that was it. In the whole, like, four years. And I really enjoyed going to work. He made it, he made, makes it very enjoyable. Any of the staff who's there really enjoys working for him. Especially us apprentices, like he works hard. He works you hard now. He, you know, he won't like nothing. You're given nothing in this game, especially with a master like Mark that's come through the ranks of, you know, um, Gay Waterhouse and 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 everyone else. But it's um. Well, he had experience in England too, didn't he? Yeah, England, well, Ireland, so forth. So he he went over their road and, and and did that before he started his apprenticeship, right? Yeah, well, he's seen how it's done and how to do it right, and um, yeah, like he sort of. Obviously, coming from Ireland, it's a completely different scene, you know. But I was, I was keen to work, and I, I you know, I was very, um, you know, I was sort of had a lot of people to prove wrong, I suppose, and I really just wanted to get going and write a few winners and sort of see how how much I could improve, I suppose. When I've met Mark, I've asked him a few questions about apprenticeships, and and I suppose what I sort of want to know, and also maybe some of the listeners do too, is it a push push thing? Like with um, with every kid, or is every kid you know treated differently? Um, you know, like you seem like one of the most laconic figures of all time. Nothing phases you. You could get on stage and sing. You could get in a big race. You get emotional after a couple of big races, obviously, but you know you don't see it. Um, yeah, is it? Does he have a different technique with different people? Does he does he nurture them differently? Or yeah, I think he does. Um, I think he, I think he definitely would. Yeah, like in a sense, like. You know, just in comparison for me, like me and Tom, Tom Sherry, for example, like I, I'd probably be a lot more laid back. And Tom, Tom is very dedicated to his trade in a sense. And, and if he makes a mistake in a race, it might take him a little bit longer to get over it. Whereas a sense if something goes wrong for me, I'm just like, you know. Like a window washer. Shit happens. Up, shit happens, yeah. you know, onto the next one or whatever. And obviously sometimes, you know, you get a bit worked up as well, but. And I think I've always been one to sort of be myself and, and I've never really changed my character for anyone. And I think Mark definitely read, read on that sort of the way I, the way I go about myself. And um, he's... Uh, so so would, he, would have he been harder on you say compared to, say, Tom or, or...? Yeah, well, I think it was a lot different for me in a sense that when I came over, it was sort of the first page of the book yeah. My princes that start coming over here. Yeah. I was probably the first one, really, um, for a long time anyway, to come yeah. over and, you know, start trying to do it as an apprentice. Yeah. Like, uh, nobody knew who I was, and nobody knew anything about real, like, Irish international princes coming over. So, like, I when I first came over, it was straight out to Dubbo, out to yeah. Coonamble, <laughs> out to Coonabarbin, trying to get right. I drove to Tamworth one day for one ride, 50 to one yoke, tailed off. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, so if I think, you know, Mark has sort of explained that to me and Tom before, like that Tom is, is, should be grateful for the way that it's panned out because Tom was the second one. And then when Tom came in, there was already sort of a, a hype on, on us coming in the Irish apprentices and they knew what we were able to ride or whatever. And, um, you know, Tom was probably getting a, a, a lot better rides than I did at that stage. But Tom's an amazing rider as well, so I think he definitely deserves that. So you look at Wayne Harris, Malcolm Johnson, Darren Beeman, Hugh Bowman, Tommy Berry, Corey Brown, Tim Clark, Sam Cliverton. Do you realise you're in the same echelon as these boys as a two-time champion apprentice? Just got lucky, man. <laughs> well, lucky. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, you have to be able to ride. At the end of the day, you can get all good horses, but you still got to be able to ride. I right? put them in the right spots. Well, what do you think sort of got you from, say, the kid that had 100 rides in Ireland and had no idea to the kid that's in the same echelon as those boys um, who are legends of the turf in Australia? What, um, what was it for you, that, especially in those early days, those first four years, what really put you in that position? I think, you know, confidence and the guidance of the right people, like obviously Mark and, and Wayne Harris was my manager at the time. Yeah. And um, he's, he was a fantastic manager to me and he was battling a lot of health issues as well. And he had a of, few stories about his Irish days and his English days, yeah? Yeah, loads of stories. <laughs> the two of them, Mark and, and Wayne, they were in Ireland at the same time, I think, yeah. at one stage. But um, yeah, I think just the guidance of the right people and, and confidence. Like, confidence is everything. Like you can have James McDonald, if he has no confidence, he won't, he won't be riding as many winners as, as he does. His confidence on horses is everything. You make the right decisions more, you know, you do things in races and you just know you're going to do it right. Um, and I think once I got a bit of confidence, it was like, you know, I could take over the world. Any horse I was riding, it could have been 50 to one. I was like, this has a chance. Yeah, you know, cool, and I yeah. just go out there with the mindset that every horse could win, to be honest. And um, yeah, just confidence goes a long way. And who do you model your riding on? So who have you sort of watched? I mean, uh, say say an Irish jockey or Australian jockeys. Who who do you sort of look and go right? That's that's the style I want, or is it just pure Robbie Dolan style? I don't really. I don't like. Obviously, I, little things here and there. Like obviously, you try and pull your stick through like a certain jock. Like I, I love the way James pulls a stick through into his left hand, and I definitely try to copy him loads of times. But it's hard to copy the likes of James J Mac. Um, I think I went through a phase to try and copy Karen McAvoy, the way he's real tight inwards and forward like everything is forward there's no like flapping around and that didn't work for me really either yeah okay. so i sort of just adopted my own style um and yeah it sort of just worked for me so in like i suppose a lot of jockeys they, they got managed to do the speed maps and, and they do that and it's plan a plan b but i mean in a race let's say plan a plan b doesn't work which is a lot of the time you yeah let's say you're worse in midfield who do you follow well, you should, it should be preparing, you know, sort of your farm before you go into the race. So you're looking up, if you're supposed to be outside the leader and you end up like worse in midfield, one off, you should be thinking to yourself, well, first of all, fuck, how do I end up here? <laughs> exactly. And then second of all, all right, well, how do I, what do I need to do here? There's only two options. You can go in or you can go out. Yep. And you sort of... Think what do you do? Do you go out much or go in? What do you? What's your preference? I'm probably a go out a bit more guy. I think I've been held up on a few as an apprentice <laughs> and it scared me. So um, uh, it depends what you're on. You know, some horses like being held up, they got a short turn of foot and you need to be sort of unlucky and sprint on them. But, and then, you know, if the favourites are three wide with cover and you're back one off, 
you know, obviously yeah. you're going to get on the you're back of the favourite. So yeah. it's different scenarios for different races and stuff like that. And obviously the way tracks are playing and stuff as well. But is there is there a jockey that you look at and like, I mean, let's say today you rode at Canberra and other days you, you ride at Warwick Farm, whatever. Is there a jockey that in one of those meetings you sort of sit there and go, righto, plan A, plan B hasn't worked, this is what I'm going to follow? Well, I think another thing that Mark really drilled into me and Tom and Tyler, you should really study your jockeys as well as your horses. Like you're going into a race, you're looking at the horses and like, this horse does this, that horse does that. You should be looking at the jockeys and this jockey does this, this jockey does that. Like Timmy Clark, for an example, if you're on, if you're on one outside of him and you feel like I might go forward and lead and Timmy's on one of gays inside you, you're not going to be able to cross him. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or like Jason Collett, for example, you're, you're, you're in a race where you feel like you're going to be in front of him on the fence. You know, he's going to be sniping behind you trying to get up the fence. Well, that's just a way, like, you know, you sort of really need to look at your jockeys and study their characteristics because a lot of people do the same characteristics a lot. And um, it could be the the difference between winning a race or losing a race if you just know this jockey's going to be a little bit more patient, I'll follow him for a bit longer. Or this jockey's going to come wide, so I might be able to go inside him or her at this stage of a race and save a bit of ground. So, um, yeah, that's definitely one piece who, of advice. Who drifts off the fence the most? Probably uh, Tom Sherry. Tom Sherry does. <laughs> <laughs> kill me now. I actually don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I find um, Jamie Carr, as great as she is, she does drift a lot and she does open room for, for you know, a horse to come through. But most of the time, she's so balanced that that horse keeps running. Yeah. But I do find if you follow her that she does drift a lot. Um, mate, let's get on to four of the best horses you rode so far. Profondo, Shelby 66, Splintex, Spirit Ridge, but there's one horse that I think you may think a bit more of. It's Victory Anthem. Mm, yep. Tell us about Victory Anthem, mate. What did that do for you in Australia? Oh, it's a, it, was a, it was a funny story, actually. You know, they should have made a movie about it, but <laughs> if uh, Warner Brothers are looking in, just give us a shout. <laughs> I'll play myself. Um, so he came, I think he came from Darren Weir. It's like not 100% sure, but he come down to Mark's and he was skinny, bones. He, he couldn't win a gallop. Like he was getting beaten out of sight in, in these gallops and Mark said to me, you know, just, we, we started to gallop him by himself. We put the blinkers on him and um, the tongue tie on. He had wind problem and he was just such a quiet horse and everything was, you know, easy going with him. But we used to just gallop him by himself and Mark would tell me just go out there and gallop him like a European horse. So I just go out, drop the hands, let him ball around and just pick up the last 400 on the bridle or whatever. And he just started again, he just started to get a bit of confidence and um we done a jump out with him at Warwick Farm and he jumped out and led the jump out with the blinkers on and he, he, he actually won the jump out and then it was going to be my first ever trial in Australia. I didn't know what a trial was. You know, I never, <laughs> I never seen it's trials before. Explain that. So, so in Ireland, there's no barrier trials, but Australia there is. Explain it. What, what's they, the reason? They have school and races in Ireland where they're very similar to trials, but they're only for two-year-olds unraced and okay. they have them like a couple of them, you know, a season or whatever. Yeah, right. But um, it was one of them things where I was just like, you know, Mark literally just said to me, it's like a race. It's no prize money. Just give him a good hit out. He needs to have a blow and I will send him off the races. Just give him a squeeze. Give him a, give him a crack and, you know, let him trial well. So that was fine. He jumped out, led up the trial, um, bowled down into the strike good, got to the, you know, the 300 and I gave him a squeeze. I gave him a crack with the stick. I looked behind me at the 50 
and I was about 15 lengths in front. <laughs> and I was like, this is a fucking machine. <laughs> this is a group heart. Come in the mark. I said, this thing is flying. I said, what's going on here? Like, he's like, ah, oh. I looked back and nobody else was trying. Everyone's up sitting up on the bridle. I said, why didn't you tell me these trolls are like this? The steward said to Mark, because obviously I had to get ticked off before I could ride. The steward's like, did you tell him to do that? Mark was like, yeah, yeah, mate, told him to do that. I went out on the second trial. I said, mate, we'd probably ride this one a bit quiet. <laughs> Good learning experience, Rod. Uh, it was great. He went out then first up at Naura, his first start in the race. You know, he went up favourite. Like the horse probably after before the trial he had no right to be favour yeah, he, he would have yeah. been 20 to 1 yep. if he had a trial back so in the field you've cost everyone cost everyone <laughs> bolted in one by five led on him and he just bolted in and uh, if one of them horses couldn't win a gallop at the start I think I ended up winning four or five races on him yeah right but he was your first winner in Oz right yeah first Correct. winner in Oz so what, is, what did that do for you what was the kick off I mean what was the feeling I know it's an hour but what was the feeling uh, it was a very enjoyable win it was I went down on the floor with the horse, you know, I led him off the floor, brought him down. I'd, you know, one of them horses you have so much to do with, they're always mean a lot. And like, you know, I would touch on it later, but like the likes of Spirit Ridge and, and yeah. Splintex, like riding them horses every day and then you go out to win group races on them is so... Satisfying. So, yeah, satisfying and, and just inspiring to just keep going, you know. Um, but like for him, for example, it definitely was just like, I'm here, this is it. Like I've waited so long for this, like, you know... Obviously, it was like March or April, I think, by the time I actually had that first race. But it was like, I came to Australia in September. So it was months and months of just grafting and working every day and, and just sort of like, is this ever going to happen? Am I ever going to have a ride? Like, And then eventually when that horse won, I was just like, yes, this is yeah, it. How this, is all it. it. this is what it's about. Mate, let's talk about Profondo. And this sort of gets to what the show's about. It's about identifying a Group 1 winner, um, knowing what a Group 1 winning horse is. Uh, it's a bit different, say, from a bloodstock agent to a trainer to a jockey. So Profondo is a $1.9 million, uh, $9 million yearling. So obviously a lot of pressure on him. The owners have pressure. Richie Lip would have had a lot of pressure. Um, mate, what stood out about this horse to you when you rode him for one, uh, when you just looked at him for two, and outside of pedigree, Talk about this horse as a type and, and his attitude around stables and so forth. Yeah, I think like Profondo, for example, he was, he's just an absolute specimen, specimen of a horse. He's gorgeous and they paid a lot of money for him for a reason because he was the best looking horse at the sales and he was very well bred. Um, you know, he's got a great walk and um, he's just does everything with ease. He covers a lot of ground with ease. And um, I think, you know, if you're looking for them good horses at the races or at the at the sales, they just have to have that something about them. And I think it's hard to even explain what it is. Because yeah, if, say, if, if you could explain what it is, everyone would be buying them. Yeah, true, true. But I mean, for you, I mean, you've rode, obviously, the two individual group moments. Um, sitting on top of them, what, uh, have they both got different attitudes? They both feel different. I mean, is there anything similar about them that, that sort of you say, shit, this, this to me is a group one horse? Yeah, you would have sorry, buddy, but you would have rode a lot of great armor horses at track work as well. Yeah, that's I'd right. Imagine. Yeah, I used to used to ride a good filly in Ireland called Jet Setting, and this is an example of horses that are so different that can win Group Ones. Yeah. Jet Setting, they bought her for twelve thousand at the sales as a tried horse, yeah. and she was about fourteen and a half hands. She was about less than five hundred kilos. She was nothing to her, and she couldn't even trot correctly. She was just like 
one of them horses, you know, they they buy their, buy them for cheap and 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 pretty much you end up going on and winning the Group One Irish Guineas, beating a horse called Minding, who won like seven or eight Group Ones for Aidan O'Brien, who was absolute freak of, at the time. Um, and then the likes of Profondo, he's the best looking horse you'll see in your life. Um, and and he obviously went on to win a Group One as well. So it's just it's just so different, and it's one of them games that. You know, you roll the dice and, and anything can happen. Yeah, well, that's a, the that's a beauty of it, right? Everyone's involved and I suppose you can be the queen, you can be the king and you can also be the taxi driver around the corner that could have a legend, right? In, in, you know, like Joe Janiak can take over Target, I suppose. It's, it's, it's a great example. Mate, let's get on to Robbie Dolan, the singer. Uh, mate, you've shot to fame this year. Uh, profusely, I mean, you're in demand. Mate, to be able to have a gift of that voice and to not be able to train to have that voice, mate, uh, it, you must pinch yourself every day just saying how good is life. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's something that I, 12 months ago, I would have been thinking, what the hell? <laughs> you, you won't be doing that. What the hell are you on about? It was just, you know, it just come out of nowhere. And then obviously we're just starting to do a little bit more with it because I'm really enjoying it. Um, and... Yeah, like I said, I don't really have any training around like that. I've done a bit of singing when I was a kid, but it was just sort of school shows and, and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, pretty much it's just, I suppose, enjoyment of singing and it's the same with writing. You just enjoy it, so you just do it. So with, I mean, I, I think I, I just, you know, if I look at some movies and I look at, say, Robbie Williams or Michael Hutchins or Coldplay come out to a stadium of 100,000 people, compare that to, say, Everest Day when you rode Cisco Bay to win. Mate, what's, what's, uh, what's the feeling like? I mean, a lot of people want to be in your shoes. So what, what's it like? The, a lot of people want to be a jockey. They want to be an armchair critic and as a jockey and they want to be able to sing. Most of them can't do both. Most of them can't do one. Well, yeah. what's it like, mate? It's awesome. It's, it's, you know, two random, completely fucking random, difficult jobs that I've decided to do. Get up on the stage and sing in front of a heap of people and, and race thoroughbred racehorses at speeds in front of thousands of people as well so it's pretty random um, but there's just a buzz about I, I've always been a bit of a show off myself so I think <laughs> I was always going to probably do something with the TV or singing or something like that but I think sort of getting out on the stage for the voice and when I done that it was just like oh this is so cool you know I really want to do a bit more of this and I got the bug the same as I got the bug with racing and um, you know obviously we're just trying to go on with it a bit. How do you juggle it all? How do you juggle it? So you've, you've just become a dad. Well, I started the year with dad, obviously. Um, and racing, music. I mean, yeah. I mean, the last, let's be honest, the last six months, you haven't been as much as Robbie Dolan as a jockey. But how are you going to juggle it in the future? Where do you see it? What's, uh, yeah, what's, what's say, the next two or three years hold for Robbie Dolan? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously we had a baby back in April and, um, April it's 10, a, right? Yeah. Yeah, Shaniri's yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look out. It was, strong, uh, strong women. <laughs> she's stronger than I am, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Wouldn't be hard. Um, obviously, I took a little bit of a break from racing, and that was sort of just after The Voice. Um, actually, it was just before The Voice come to air. So I took a break, and then, obviously, when everything happened with The Voice, it was a little bit sort of hard to get rides and stuff because everyone thought oh this guy just wants to be a singer and that's it so I had to sort of prove to people again that I could ride and sort of I think when I come back and won the group one on Shelby it sort of silenced a lot of people and stuff like that um, but it's such a fickle game isn't it 
Honestly, there's ups and downs. <laughs> it's the most fickle game. Like one day, uh, you know, you're riding Profondo to win a group one and next day because you can sing, you can't ride. Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you know, it doesn't matter all the years of hard work and um, sort of ties you've made with people and then a lot of people just don't really want to put you on because they think you just want to be a singer and not a jockey. So do you see, I mean, uh, have you got any international gigs coming up? Yeah, well, hopefully now we're going to go to Hong Kong. Um, it's something, it's not hundred percent locked in yet, but it's something that's, uh, you know, it's on the table. Um, there's a couple of things we need to work out, but, um, I think we'll definitely be going to Hong Kong before the end of the year to do a few gigs. How many gigs do you have a week at the moment or sort of a month? How's that sort of work out for you? I'm probably doing a couple a month. Yeah. I've turned down a lot of gigs. I get a lot of offers and stuff for gigs and, you know, Obviously, I'd love to do them all, but I do really want to race as well, and I love racing, and I love the animal of, of, of the horses, and I just, it's hard to give it away when you've been doing it for so long. Um, and I think, you know, I'm sort of just picking and choosing the right gigs that I want to do, um, doing a lot of sort of corporate stuff, and I have a really good couple of musicians behind me with Jaden Sierra, Jack Sierra, and Garrett Barker, and um, Calvin Arosa, and... Um, Pretty much, we're just like I said, picking and choosing the right ones that I want to do. When when I see your show, you you, you played at one of the Osher events at uh, at Catalina, which um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, thank you. It was it was one of the best shows I've ever been involved with. But what's the show you're trying to give to the audience or or to the listeners and so forth? What is that show like? I mean, do you who do you model yourself on? Is it is it a James Bay, Lewis Capaldi, or is it obviously a Robert, Robbie Dolan? But what's the show you boys are giving? We're giving a, a sort of a intimate but funny gig a little bit Lewis Capaldi a little bit James Bay as well like you said like Lewis Capaldi will get up there for example and he'll sing the saddest song you'll ever hear and everyone will be in tears and then he'll after the song he'll say fuck I've got a bad wedgie I need to go for a piss <laughs> something like that you know Yo. what I mean <laughs> um, but it's you know it's I'm not saying I'm going to go for a piss on the stage yeah. but um <laughs> It's something that I do. I like to sing them sort of intimate songs that people will feel them and they sort of really get into the song and then try to interact with the crowd in a funny way or something between songs and people really enjoy that. And then as the set goes on, we'll sort of up the tempo and we'll bring in sort of them upbeat songs that people really like. We get people dancing and by the end of it, it's, you know, everyone's really enjoying it. Yeah. Say like uh, you've taken Dale Braithwaite out of a job. I mean, on Cox Plate Day. What, what was that like, mate? Yeah, it was an awesome experience. It was, um, you know, it sort of come out of blue a few months ago and it was something that stood out to me that I was, I was at the Cox Plate in 2016 when Winks won and I was like, oh, that was just unbelievable, yeah. you know, and then to sort of get the offer to do it was was amazing and I think originally it was probably going to be myself and Daryl and then I don't know what happened but I ended up just doing it by myself and, um, it was it was awesome, and obviously had the band with me as well, and we had the didgeridoo player and Cassie McIver was singing as well. It was awesome. It was, it was unreal, and obviously some people didn't like it, and some people loved it. So it was. I thought it was unreal. It was a good fun. I really enjoyed it. How do you um? How do you sort of cope with say okay, let's let's say that part there, the with singing that singing um horses at, at the Cox Plate, negative feedback. How does that sort of go with Robbie Dolan? Do you just brush it off and say well, who cares, or or how does it go? You know, unless it's like, I, I knew I sang really shit and they were like, geez, you, rang, you sang shit. Yeah, no worries. I'll take that. But I'm not going to take criticism from someone I want to take advice from. 
someone's like, oh, that was shit. And I'm like, I know it wasn't shit. It was good. So fuck you. Yeah, exactly, mate. Um, but yeah, and, and a lot of people, you know, didn't want anyone else to do it except for Daryl. And that's very acceptable. You know, Daryl's been doing it for a long time and that's his tune, but that's grand. But if I'm getting paid to do it, I'm going to do a good job of it. And it's just because it's Daryl not doing it doesn't mean you have to be a dick about it. Yeah, 100%. Mate, let's get back to the racing. What does the next five years hold for Robbie Dolan, the jockey? I, I'd i love to continue riding. I think I'm going to continue riding as long as I can, as long as trainers want to put me on. And, you know, I'm trying to ride work as, as many days as I can a week. Obviously, it's flat out with this and singing and, and and the baby and stuff as well. And Christine obviously needs to work as well. Get her out of the house. She can't be looking, at the, looking after the baby all the time. So it's pretty hectic. But I try and ride work a couple of times a week. And if you can't ride work a lot, like if you're not riding work, it's going to be hard to keep your rides and get the good rides. So... um. I'd love to just continue riding and ride winners and, and uh, just just go with the flow, man. Enjoy myself and pay the bills and everything be happy and Larry and rainbows <laughs> and butterscotch and everything. Absolutely. We might have one later. Maybe. We might have one, yeah. <laughs> Mate, uh, an Everest or on a stage in front of 100,000 people at um, one of Bob Geldof, so Bob Geldof's um, gigs? Uh, I think an Everest. I haven't been in this sort of dream of the music industry for long enough to really aspire to do that yet I'd love to do it but I'm just taking it one step at a time whereas in racing I've been grafting and working so hard for so long that if I won an Everest I reckon I'd break down and cry for about two hours yeah right amazing um, I suppose there's going to be a lot of young listeners to this show a lot of people chasing dreams whether they're young or even middle age and want to change careers and they're thinking about what talents they've got. What's the uh, three best pieces of advice that Robbie Dolan can give to uh, to them? I think number one is obviously work hard. Anyone's going to say that to you. Work hard. Just don't miss, don't miss work. Keep going to work all the time. You know, if you are have a big night and you're drunk, just get up and go to work. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You're there. <laughs> like Joshy. Like Joshy. <laughs> Shout out to Joshy Evans. Um, but no, um, I think just be yourself as well. Don't try to be anyone different and don't try and don't try and be anyone you're not. Yeah. Just try and be yourself and, and be true to yourself, I think. And um, the last thing is just be prepared to fail, you know, because yeah. not everyone's going to make it. And if you don't make it, it's not the end of the world. There's a lot, a lot of other things to, to do in the industry and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, there's lots of people who just don't make it as a jockey and, and go down a dark path and I just think it's ridiculous because there's a million jobs in the racing industry that they can be very useful for so Robbie you're here you're at, at the track with Osha mate closes off one of your best tunes mate beautiful alright I'll sing you um, I'll sing you one now in a sec got the mosh pit out there yeah the mosh pit <laughs> they're starting to gather around here take it easy <laughs> I haven't been paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> and why be? This is um, a song called Bruises that we sing in our set. Yeah, okay. Lewis Capaldi, so. Counting days, counting days since my love has been got lost on me. Every breath that I've been taking since you left feels like a hollow street. I've been holding on to hope that you'd come back when you can find some peace. Every breath that I've been taking since you left feels like a waste on me. 
I've been sold, I've been sold to get you off my mind But I hope I never lose the bruises that you left behind Oh my lord, oh my lord, I need you by my side Sing it with me now There must be something in the water You're not too bad Every day is getting colder And if only I could hold ya you keep my head from going under. All right, that's enough now. I think you're going to make run me over job, you can. That was awesome, brother. Mate, Robbie Dolan, thank you so much for being the first guest at, uh, at the track with Osher. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the 10th of December at uh, the Osher event of the Gold Coast Turf Club. Absolutely. We'll be there. Pleasure, mate. Thanks Cheers, Robbie. Thanks very much, Cheers. mate. Cheers. That's it for At The Track with Osher this week. If you like the show, hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen. We'll be back soon with more great guests, so I'll see you then. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Crew. The new Elite Bet app has arrived. It's got all the betting features you expect and new ones you're going to love. Elite Bet is your one-stop shop on race day with Hot Bet, where you can back the tips of proven winning punters. Build fast sports multis and play same game multis. The Elite Bet app is the smoothest betting experience around. Trusted for 10 years, Elite Bet is 100% Australian owned. The only betting app you need this summer is Elite Bet. Gamble responsibly. Afternoon sports. Are you thinking about making a podcast? If so, contact the Afternoon Sport Group. We'll make it easy. With the technical know-how and industry knowledge, we'll get your podcast up and running in no time. Get in touch via our website or email hello at afternoonsport.com.